Hello and welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast. I'm your host, Jonah Comstock. Despite many innovators working on the problem for a number of years, healthcare data is still messy. One of the reasons it's such a hard problem is that it's actually lots of smaller problems, lots of different kinds of data in different kinds of silos, even if that data could be helpful to other stakeholders who don't have access to it. My guest today is Nathan Bookbinder, co-founder and chief product officer at Prosha, which is focused on one important subset of healthcare data, pathology data. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Hey, Jonah. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got involved at Prosha. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you said, my name is Nathan, and I am the chief product officer and one of the co-founders at Prosha. So I've been with the company since day one. My background is in biomedical engineering. And me and the other co-founders of the company had uh, been doing a, a bit of biomedical re research, working in various cancer labs uh, at Johns Hopkins, at the University of Pittsburgh. Um, and across the board, we were all seeing uh, some of the, the same challenges, namely that while pathology sat at the center of biomedical research, it served as a fundamental um, crux point uh, where decisions get made, where information gets understood, um, some of the basic biology, as well as an understanding of what treatments are working and what treatments aren't. It was all analog. Um, it was all relatively subjective. It was all you know, very local, where you had a single researcher, scientist, pathologist, um, technician operating on a glass slide under the microscope. Um, and we thought that the massive transformation that digitization has had on other areas of not just medicine, but our day-to-day -day lives, there was a real opportunity to help drive uh, innovation and a paradigm shift in how pathology was practiced and how it helps to shape drug development and discovery. So why is the status quo uh, like it is? Uh, what is, you know, what is the current kind of state of, of how pathology data is, is generated and stored and used and and how did we get there? So the story of how pathology is what it is actually starts uh, back in the late 1800s when uh, a scientist physician by the name of Robert Virchow um, really invented the field, um, understood that the cause of disease was often rooted in basic biology and tissue. And I uh, started the practice of looking at that tissue under the microscope to understand what diseases were present um, and some of the intricacies about those, about those diseases and about the patients that were experiencing them. And fundamentally, the biggest challenge in pathology is that it ultimately hasn't changed all that much since then. Um, we're still taking biopsies from patients, uh, taking those biopsies and uh, cutting the tissue real thin, putting it on a glass slide and looking at that slide under the microscope. Our understanding of what we're looking at has improved dramatically. We have a much better sense from a uh, basic biology, from a medical, from a research perspective, you know, what we're seeing, what kind of patterns we're looking at. Some of the stains that we use um, to visualize these patterns have improved, uh, but the basic core uh, tenets of pathology have not fundamentally shifted. Part of the reason for that is that it is heavily an analog practice. Um, so unlike its counterpart in radiology, where we saw digitization occur essentially as soon as it could, uh, as soon as images uh, could be generated, managed, stored, shared, 
archived, analyzed. Um, you know, pathology happens under the microscope and uh, has not lent itself as naturally towards digitization until probably 10 or so years ago when we saw a massive surge in digital pathology adoption, um, essentially the creation of whole slide images using a large scanner um, that can digitize, create a high resolution picture of what you'd ordinarily look at under the microscope. And it's it's been transformational from there. So you finally got something that you could call data that you can use in a digital way and, and, and manipulate with computers. How does AI come into it? Um, and, and what are you guys doing now to, to actually sort of make this data um, useful for, for drug development? Yeah, so what I would actually say is that before you can even get to the AI side of things, digitization was certainly the first step. Um, but what we've seen over the last two to three years is a big push towards a modern digital pathology approach. That, that's where Prosa excels. Um, that's where we're really uh, driving this, this change at life sciences organizations, academic centers, and diagnostic laboratories as well. Um, in order to take the data that has uh, historically been trapped in glass a little bit more recently, um, been digitized, um, but now trapped in data silos and actually see value from it, these life sciences organizations are turning to enterprise-grade solutions like our Concentric for Research platform um, that help to connect people, data, teams, applications um, through a, a single experience uh, in a single uh, core platform that helps to drive collaboration and makes that data more accessible, both beyond the single studies for which that data was collected. Um, so treating data as a valuable liquid asset um, that can be uh, repurposed over time and making that data accessible to AI. Um, so, so there's that digitization step that happens first, then there's the enterprise grade digital pathology adoption. And now, like you had suggested, we're starting to see AI. So, so with that, with that preamble, uh, let's, let's get to it. How does, how does AI enter into this? What's the opportunity there? We see the broad landscape of AI and pathology occurring along two dimensions. The first is the use of artificial intelligence to drive new insights, to drive new breakthroughs, essentially finding patterns, very complex patterns in tissue data or between tissue data and uh, other omics data um, as, as one uh, domain of artificial intelligence in the life sciences pathology. Um, the, other, the other domain that AI is really helping to transform is the process of conducting research. So process automation solutions, um, things like automated quality control, which is actually a solution that, that we just released not too long ago. Um, and that we've seen a lot of a lot of appeal to uh, for life sciences organizations that we work with that are helping to drive efficiency, eliminate uh, some of the mundane, repetitive um, and time consuming tasks that are pervasive across the drug discovery and development process. So insight driving um, and process automation are the two broad areas where we're seeing a big impact of AI and pathology. Uh, and it's very tangible. It's very real today. 
Interesting. Can you give some examples of of, uh, of what we've seen recently in, in one of those categories? Yeah, absolutely. I, if I start off with those insight driving uh, AI applications, we're talking about developments like PDL1 quantification as just an example. So quantifying specific biomarkers that we know are correlated with uh, differentiating when a patient is a good or a poor candidate for a drug compound um, and leveraging AI to help do that. Um, we're talking about patient stratification so that I can structure clinical trials in a manner where I have different populations um, who are more or less likely to respond to a therapy based off of the patterns that AI identifies um, in, a, in a cohort. Um, we're talking about other insight driving applications like digital companion diagnostics, um, like AI that's used to help drive biomarker discovery and find correlations between different stains that are used to help extract the patterns, the complex patterns that are expressed in, in the various um, proteins that are, are reflective across histopathology. Um, all of these are helping to drive both a better basic research understanding and very much a, an application-oriented, endpoint-oriented, and commercially-oriented use of AI to drive um, new discovery and breakthrough that translates into clinical practice. On the process automation side of things, uh, I think that uh, the automated quality control solution that I described is a, a great example of how you apply AI to shave off meaningful amounts of, of time from the studies that get conducted. Um, and when you think about the fact that between you know, one and thirteen million dollars is lost for each day in delay in bringing a drug to market, we're talking about a very tangible impact that's being felt today by these these organizations that are deploying AI in practice. So, one question I have about the pathology data: this whole timeline of of so long it was just analog, um, which means that so much data there's there's all this data from the past. Are there initiatives underway to sort of digitize older pathology data, or is it really more just focused on moving forward? Let's make sure this data is is something we can use smartly. We're seeing both. So we're seeing some of the biggest pharmaceutical companies, government research organizations, uh, and the likes, you know, create these initiatives and uh, act on these initiatives so that every new pathology slide that comes in is being digitized. Um, you know, even some of the biggest CROs that are seeing millions and millions and millions of slides per year are digitizing or are on a path to digitize every single one of them. And at the same time, they're going back to their archives of tissue. Right? They've stored this tissue, these biopsies, for decades. Um, a good example is the Joint Pathology Center, which is one of our customers that has archives of pathology data going back to the 1800s. Um, and they're starting to digitize those as well, recognizing that they've been sitting on this treasure trove of, of incredibly valuable data that can lead to new insights, that can help to understand, uh, help us to understand rare disease better, things that don't occur that frequently. They can help us to understand the progression of disease and the changes in patterns of disease over time. And that provides a whole new stomping ground for innovation and that all they have to do to access that, to unlock the power of that data is digitize and ensure that when they digitize, they're eliminating these data silos 
uh, and creating a, a shared common infrastructure to connect that data to the research that, that is ongoing. So let's talk a little bit about drug discovery. Um, how does, what's the role here that AI, getting back to AI, has to play uh, versus still the role of, of the human researchers? And when we're talking about kind of uh, the very beginning of this process and figuring out which targets to, to analyze, you know, how, how is that, um, that interplay between, you know, between people and, and the way things have traditionally been done and, and the, the, the new contributions of this technology, how does that starting to look? Fundamentally, what we're seeing is that while on the one hand, AI is remarkable at identifying patterns from complex data and that its utility is highest when you're working with the most complex problems that are, that are most data intensive, where the human mind is uh, limited in its capacity to, to make these connections and correlations, that, that while AI adds massive value there, it's ultimately still the scientists, the researchers, the pathologists who are launching these studies who are providing the context, that, that raw source of input, um, in some cases who are guiding the AI, uh, supervising it, and then ultimately and most importantly, making sense of all of these patterns, making sense of the data that's coming from AI in order to draw conclusions that spearhead us towards new breakthroughs and, and discovery. I look at it as AI being an incredibly powerful tool in their toolkit, but you still need that human user that's controlling the process and that's making sense of the entirety of this landscape. Yeah. So, so what about that sort of so-called black box problem? I mean, as the data gets more complex, uh, is, is there ever an issue of understanding what the computer did and how it got there? There can be some issues. Um, a lot of AI is not entirely explainable. Um, and at the end of the day, there are a few things that we're seeing successful life sciences organizations, pharma companies, biotech companies, academic researchers do to make sure that even where there is some element of a black box, um, that they're confident in the results. The most fundamental thing uh, that they are doing is ensuring that they validate the results that they're seeing um, in a robust um, and, and very realistic data set. So they'll get results, and the process by which they get these results might be a little bit hard to, to uh, disentangle and to really understand, maybe impossible to truly understand. But what they can do is ensure that they've tested these results and feel comfortable that it works in practice, that it's not something that's just an artifact of the data set that was, that was put together. The other thing that we're seeing these uh, these organizations do is be very careful about how they're putting together the data that's ultimately training these AI applications and that's being combed through by AI, that's being tested on um, and, and understood and interpreted by AI. This has put a, a big uh, shift in focus from life sciences organizations towards data sciences, towards the data scientist as a key member, as a, a critical aspect of uh, how research gets done, but we're seeing uh, that being done successfully. The last thing that I would say on that topic is there are obviously downstream regulatory implications um, of this, and I fully expect that most of these life sciences organizations want to get it right the first time, and the kinds of steps that I just described are a part of that process of ensuring that 
even with that black box scenario, they're still confident that what they're doing works well and will ultimately translate into uh, successful products that change how we treat uh, and manage patients. I want to go back to what you said about preparing the data and and um, and training. You know, making sure that you know the whole garbage in, garbage out problem. Making sure that that these models are are getting trained on really good data. Um, a big part of that is is like data annotation, right? You can't just feed the computer a bunch of pictures of of slides. You need they need to be kind of there needs to be information about them. They need to be labeled. It needs to know what it's looking at. And I'm sure that preparing the data for AI is not trivial, right? Oh, it absolutely is not trivial. And in pathology, you're talking about extraordinarily rich data. Um, your average pathology image um, stained with H&E, so your kind of bread and butter uh, stains that you use to visualize uh, tissue under the microscope or digitally, your average image is somewhere between a couple hundred megabytes and a gigabyte. And when you start talking about um, some of the more complex and advanced modes of imaging, you're talking about potentially hundreds of gigabytes per image um, that you might have thousands or tens of thousands of these images generated. So they're they're very data rich. Um, And how you annotate them, how you make sense of them is a very complex problem. But what I would say is that this isn't a one size fits all type of scenario. What you're trying to do and what your data looks like when you start, and your your technology approach very much shapes how heavily you annotate this this data at the get go. It shapes what kinds of annotations you're you're receiving, whether it's simply just a label of the diagnosis, whether it's other metadata associated with the image or with the patient um, or the animal that's that's being studied. Um, on the compound side, there are dozens of variables that you might decide to feed into AI. And all of that is done by people who are much smarter than me with PhDs, uh, backgrounds in the data sciences, um, and who are trying to find their way to the best approach um, to driving these these insights from what's ultimately an extraordinarily complex field. So we talked a little bit about drug discovery, but this data is valuable and, and the AI is potentially valuable all across the the life cycle of, of a drug. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit about the use cases in clinical trials and in manufacturing. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to comment on that to the extent that I, that I uh, can. I will suggest that while I can probably comment on clinical trials to a, a fair degree, um, pathology has not historically played an enormous role in manufacturing. By the time that you get there, most of your, your studies have been done or are ongoing in a parallel path. Um, but broadly speaking, yes, the tie-in between what's being done in the preclinical or clinical space with regards to pathology um, to the rest of the drug development process holds some of them the biggest potential for this data and this technology, um, short and long-term. So... Uh... Nathan, what haven't we talked about yet that you think is is really interesting or important um, a- around this topic and then these trends? Um, what are you thinking about when you think about the next year in uh, in data and, and AI and, and the work you guys are doing? Yeah, so I, I've got three things that come to mind. The first is something that is um, particular to pathology and to, to our vision 
for how this, this landscape evolves. And that's that what we're seeing is a massive flywheel effect that's being created as digital pathology and artificial intelligence, computational pathology solutions get adopted, not only in the life sciences, pharma, biotech, CROs, um, but also in clinical practice. The adoption in one domain is driving adoption in the other. We're seeing some interdependency. And as more and more clinical labs are utilizing digital pathology for routine practice and routine sign-out, we're seeing these life sciences organizations respond either directly or indirectly in kind, um, leveraging digital pathology to do, to do even more innovative things, to drive digital companion diagnostics, um, to work with these organizations, to tap into the value of the data that's being generated on a day-to-day -day basis. That flywheel effect is very real. Um, ProSHA is uniquely positioned to capture it. Um, as a, a solutions provider for both the diagnostic and the research um, domains. And we're really excited about the, the potential that that holds and the actualization of that potential that we're seeing on a day-to-day. -day. But a little bit more, more broadly and less specific to ProSHA, uh, there are two other things that I think uh, excite me most about 2023 and beyond. The first is that um, spatial biology and spatial multiomics is starting to really translate into big breakthroughs uh, that are changing how we think about some, bio, some of biomedical research, both in the earlier stages uh, of the drug discovery and development process and beyond. I'm excited that the digitization of pathology and the use of artificial intelligence is helping to pull pathology even further into that equation and making it the center of that multi-omics equation where we're starting to correlate what's, what's in the tissue, what patterns we're seeing in the biology, um, and genomic information, molecular information, proteomic information, uh, correlating all of that with the structures that we're actually seeing manifest in the tissue itself. Um, it's a, a truly transformative time in that area of research. Uh, and I, I expect we're going to see major breakthroughs there. The other and, and last area that has me most excited is that all of this is coming at a time when the demand for precision medicine is surging. Over the last few decades, we've seen huge advances on how we treat disease. Pharmaceutical companies, life sciences organizations more broadly have brought to market uh, some truly life-saving drugs truly life-saving compounds. Um, and as we turn to the next generation of problems to solve, of diseases to tackle, a more precision medicine-oriented approach uh, seems to be necessary. And that's coming just as we're creating this massive amount of data, digitizing these images, applying AI on top, and extracting uh, what's unique about each specimen, about each patient, and what's, what's common about them help find these correlations that allow us to treat each and every patient um, individually and with the kind of precision and care that they deserve. It really is exciting to see the confluence of the market need and demand, the clinical demand that we're seeing from patients and from physicians, and the technology that's enabling all of this combined at the same time. I started the show talking about data silos, and I, I feel like what you're talking about in, in the, those, uh, at least two of those three trends is really the potential of, of bringing data together, getting it out of those silos, seeing how does pathology data connect with 
all these omics and and then you know in in practice with with the data that's being gathered in the clinic um i know that's easier said than done there's a lot of work that goes into making that data talk to each other in a way that is going to enable the kind of future you described uh, so what's I guess how hopeful are you about that, and 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 why is there reason to to hope that we're gonna get these these connections and this communication right, so we can really unlock that potential? The reason I'm most confident that we're gonna be able to eliminate these data silos and draw connection between data is because we're doing it today. Um, I am just as excited as you are about what kinds of breakthroughs can come from these connections, um, and what we're seeing is that by taking that step from purely thinking about digitization as the act of taking what was on a glass slide and creating an image, and instead thinking about it from the lens of digital transformation, um, of how you get an enterprise pathology solution that allows you to connect that data between different sites, across different studies, and two different aspects of biomedical research. Um, that by doing that from day one, as you're creating this pathology data, you're setting yourself up for this future in which data is driving medicine. So in short, it, it's happening now. I'm, I'm encouraged because I see it on the ground. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for, for chatting with me, Nathan. This has been very interesting, and it's, a, it's an area that I uh, had not heard too much about before, uh, specifically about you know, d- digital pathology. So it's it's fascinating to learn about it and the work that you're doing and uh good luck thank you very much jonah thanks for having me that concludes this episode of the pharma forum podcast you can find more information about this episode including a download link and information about other installments in the series at pharmaforum.com podcast the pharma forum podcast is also available on itunes spotify acast stitcher and podme where you can find and subscribe by searching for PharmaForum. And don't forget to visit our website, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and to follow us on Twitter at at PharmaForum. Thanks for listening.